talking comics and not just a big two. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the Paper Keg Podcast, where three friends talk about comic books as a special roundtable episode. You know, we're giving back after allegedly people were interested in the roundtable segment after I yanked it from the show format many moons ago. So we'll be going around to the table, talking about what we read in the last month or so, or the last two hours in preparation <laughs> for this episode. <laughs> and uh, with us, as always, is, he's been called the Silver Fox. He's a VP of merch. He runs all the numbers for the show. He's in charge of, you know, producing events, uh, you name it, Dale underscore A. Uh, we are back, at least for this one monthly episode. Slim of VP of SoundCloud clenching up as we speak. (laughs) (laughs) Known fact, uh, SoundCloud loves Patrick Hernandez. Stone cold fact. This is actually the only song they allow to go out (laughs) on each podcast. It's in the rider. You know, we. I think we do need to have a. Oh, let's sing it, Patrick. Born. <laughs> you know what I want to watch right now? The dance off. On YouTube, Gosh. oh man! Yeah, remember the day? Remember the day we uncovered that gem on YouTube? Just happened to be this like around the same time that we discovered the gift maker from YouTube video. <laughs> oh man, gold that day! Yeah, you know we. I think we should have a Patrick Hernandez theme party. You know oh. where everyone dresses up like Patrick Hernandez. <laughs> I think that we could probably get him to come. <laughs> that would go off like gangbusters. I mean, honestly. I, I honestly think it would. You know, everyone has to find these kind of like, you know, flesh-colored slacks and a, you know, a cummerbund ensemble. Imagine a cane. And a, I'm going to go with and the, a dancing uh, cane. A dancing cane. I'm going to go with the older fat Patrick Hernandez mm-hmm. that just uh, tours <laughs> with this one song. Yeah, like he County looks Fairs. like Tim Burton. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he does. He does look like Tim Burton. Bonsoir. Yeah, I'm just tickled by the idea that we would have this party and you'd always have to have your cane with you. Like, you'd have to, you know, on your person. <laughs> yeah. So everyone at the party would just have a cane, you know, on their lap or whatever. Wherever. And at the very least, every time each one of the three of us made eye contact with each other, we would have to sort of try to act out a little bit of Patrick Hernandez just for a laugh. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe even recreate the dance-off number. At least, you know, one person versus the other. Oh, man. Yeah. You know, with... With this, with our Patreon backers, I mean, just think of the uh, the video rental equipment. We could, I mean, we could really pull something off. Something we could probably hire a guy to, to direct it for us. Well, we would have to do. We would have to record it on like an old nineteen eighties VHS, uh, like recorder. So we'd record it onto VHS, and then record it. You know, move that to a digital file somehow. Probably get um, 
Tim Burton in on it somehow. <laughs> All right, enough enough tomfoolery. We need to get into the round right. table. Jonesy's here too. We had a whole month. Jonesy is here. Yep, you're we had here. A whole month. You know, to we, read and Dale underscore the Silver Fox. What was you know? What's one of the books that you read this week? This month? Sorry, I read this month. This entire month. You know, I've been documenting all the single issues I've read this entire month since having the idea for this podcast extra. Um, and I went ahead and I know it's kind of maybe taboo because we've had a, a summer of it, if you will. But I went back so curious about the new releases of Miracle Man mm-hmm. uh, by Neil Gaiman, which was going to be the natural continuation of the older stories when Alan Moore stepped off the book back in 1990 or 1987. And, you know, the, as soon as that happened, the rights kind of got mixed up. Neil Gaiman was never able to release these issues. Marvel is putting them out. They started coming out in August. There's two issues out now. I read both of them. going to be in my review. And I got to tell you, Zero Magic Lost in these issues. Wow. They're fantastic. Bold statement. Uh, and they're doing something funky with the numbering, too. I think they're just calling it like Miracle Man by Neil Gaiman and maybe Buckingham. Mm-hmm. But they're it's like they're giving it a new number one, which wasn't really the case when it was first released. Yeah, it's so very interesting that they do that. I think in the for, on the inside flap, it kind of tells you what number it might be, but at least it it catches you up on where the world is in in Miracle Man universe. And when we uh, last left Miracle Man, I mean, he's done it. He has basically catapulted himself to the top. He's a god now, walking and living on Earth, creating Olympus, setting himself in position to be the world leader, as it were. And Gaiman picks, picks up on that immediately, and these stories out of this book are basically from people who are kind of living in this world. And the first, the first um, issue is amazing where it talks about four strangers who get together at the bottom of this Mount Olympus Tower where Miracle Man lives. And they basically, they have to travel in packs of fours and there's a secretary on the bottom floor near the front door. She's like, okay, the four of you are here. You guys can go on up. And it's implied that they're going to go up to the top of this tower to pray to Miracle Man. But what it turns out being is like this mecha journey because the tower is so tall. They're just climbing flights of stairs for days. And they're like camping on levels at night, like in between levels of these stairs. And the air is getting so thin they have to stretch, they have to step inside these suits. So it takes them like five to seven days to get to the top. And one gentleman, he doesn't even make it to the top. He just, the the journey of, uh, you know, it's, it's basically complete silence. They're in deep thought, trying to think, well, but, you know, how they're going to talk to Miracle Man when they see him. And one guy just goes completely crazy and, like, jumps off three quarters of the way up and kills himself. And then the rest of the three go up. One When they get to the top, one immediately <laughs> tries to shoot Miracle Man with a handgun. Like, he spent all this time getting up there, and he's basically just, like, gets his A and his shot off face handed to him. And the other two make, both make prayers to Miracle Man, and it's fascinating. The whole issue is fascinating. 
I don't. I, I'm not going to. I spoiled most of it for you, but I'm not going to. I'll save the yeah, last the, two prayers. Uh, yeah. The, when the, once they finally get to Miracle Man and what they say and and what happens there, like, was fantastic. And the journey and how it was displayed mm. in the art style of Buckingham was dynamite because they actually they make it seem like they don't even know how long they've been traversing to the top of Olympus. Mm-hmm. They're like uh, the one guy is like. You know how long have we been trying to get up here? It could be months. It could be years. I don't even. I don't even remember. So the journey is like psychedelic yeah. in nature, really, for them. Where I mean, the way Gaiman wrote it, it's a whirlwind of like love and emotion. Where he's like talking about how he thinks he hears people making love at night because there's one woman and three men, and you kind of get the vibe that it's from the one. Uh, dude that also finally makes it to the top. So he's like, I feel like I, I heard people making love last mm-hmm. night. I can't tell who it was. And then he eventually makes love to the woman as well at some point during the journey. So it's like this Woodstock, Burning Man, LSD, Mount Everest climb to get to God. And I thought, I mean, I was really stunned by yeah. how great it was. Yeah, so the the... It was so it's so crazy because it's just the fact that these people are are traversing these stairs for days for who knows how long and just because of that their 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 sanity is like barely hanging on so it's not like they're doing drugs at Burning Man or something but it's just the fact it's just the sheer will of them doing this that's making him kind of like go crazy it's it's a great great issue and do the do you know slim if the art is the art is old as well and just the colors are new i think just the colors are new fantastic fantastic that it's just all there and i think when this gets to a certain issue number there's going to be brand new content out like there's going to be a new like he's finally going to be able to finish it i think he like never was able to finish his run so there'll be new game in buckingham stuff at the end let's uh change gears a little bit here i had the privilege of reading a book it's not quite out yet but it will be out soon i think it's out in like um i don't know top shelf has some kind of weird distribution where it's out in like print book shops but it's out in maybe comic shops but it won't be out in digital for a while uh it's called the story of my tits uh it's uh gorgeous what's that so you came in red hot when you said that last word. I think my <laughs> headphones jumped off my ears. <laughs> the story of my tits is a top shelf book, and it's like a autobiographical about the lead character growing up as a young girl, worrying about her breast size, and then her family being deluged by breast cancer, and her father being caught um, in an affair and how that affects the family and then her growing up living through more people getting breast cancer and then herself gets breast cancer as a, as a mother of several children and how that affects her. It was beautiful. Really stunned by how much it impacted me while reading. Um, I actually had the pleasure to interview the creator a couple weeks ago and it which was so intriguing to me is she the main character 
it's it's told in kind of like um very simple not simple like simple is a bad thing but a very simple structure in the storytelling and the style of the art this is the first i think like uh it was really early into her foray into graphic novels even though she's you know she's not like 18 or whatever she's a grown woman with a family Mm -hmm. and it starts off with her finding out that her mother has breast cancer and her father isn't really like being the caring father that she assumes that her father would be and then eventually she uncovers the reason for that is because he's been having an affair with another woman and the family kind of like knows about it even the mother knows about it so it was and you see this unfold in the story and i like posited the question to her i was like you know how do you i was really surprised at how you told this story about how you know you 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 revealed it out of nowhere that your father had been having an affair. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and like, as I said it, I was like, but that's how it felt for you. Like it was obvious to everyone else. And then it came out of nowhere that your father was having this affair. And it was just so fascinating to me how someone can write a story like that and then convey the emotions that you feel during those moments. And it was no truer than when her, she was, uh, emoting how she feels about her mother having cancer. And I think it was, well, it was, it was, she, she conveyed like, um, uh, the, her mother was not yet dead, but death owned her. Like it was only a matter of time, uh, before her mother was taken by this. And, and it was a, it was just an on point description of how, gosh, you don't know how to act around someone with cancer. You don't know how to talk. You don't know how to, there's no like guidebook on that. But the feeling you get when you're around someone that death has its grip on, it was just, it was, it was amazing. Uh, I, I can't wait for it to come out on uh, digital because it was really, well, probably one of my favorite books of the year. Amazing. And what was funny is we three, I met her at Baltimore Comic-Con and, and I didn't know who she was with, but I knew it was her husband because of the way she drew him in the book. It was like this weird moment, like, oh, that's so-and-so. And then I was like, saw the back of her husband's like balding head. And I was like, oh my God, that must be her husband because that looks like him in the book. Um, but it was really Did funny. you bring that up to her when you just talked to her? <laughs> I, I don't remember if I said that to him. <laughs> that would have been great. Um, but yeah, it was, I actually had no idea what the book was, was about. And it was like 500 pages so I read it, you know, right before the interview and I was so glad that I did because it was a really great conversation we had about the book and, you know, like how do you even like put that stuff down? And I I asked her, you know, did you get a different perspective on your father after yeah. writing it? Like after all these years, was there like a different view that you had that you, you'd ever thought of? And she said, yeah, uh, several times she did. Wow. Because actually what I even did was I brought it up the Watchmen, I told her, I was like, we just did The Watchmen, and the comedian, you know, had no relationship with his daughter because he essentially raped the mother. So, like, he lost the ability to have a relationship with uh, his daughter. And that, like, gave me a different perspective on the, you know, how he got screwed out of what he did. 
and Mm -hmm. how that must have felt for her father where he screwed up and now he irreparably damaged the relationship with his daughter. So, I mean, amazing book. Amazing. Wow. Check it out. Kenzie loves beer. I am. I do. (laughs) I do. I am. I do. That should be your (laughs) profile. (laughs) I am. I do. Uh. Uh, my book, uh, to change gears even further, uh, is called From Under Mountains. You know, I was obsessed with image number ones uh, back in the old round table days, so I figured my inaugural book should be the same. Uh, image book, uh, Claire Gibson, I believe her name is, with on writing duties, and it's... it's- Go ahead. Is this the one with like the fan the fantasy cover? Mm-hmm. Yes, and it is a fantasy setting. It's um, okay. it takes place in like a Middle Eastern, like ancient times land of milk and honey, uh, fantasy land. Only the, the the reverse. It's like barren desert. You know, people were scraping to get by. Uh, the book starts off with a ritual done by like a what would you call it? like a small town witch, not a shaman, but something like that. And uh, she summons a shadow creature. And then you jump cut to the lords of a dying land uh, and their desire to make a pact in order to kind of like gain power back in their land. And, you know, of course, the star of the book, uh, you think, is this, uh, like, young prince who's going to take a tour and figure out how his, the cities work, and he's going to travel, and he's a young rebel, and he's going to take place in the sword tournament and not tell anybody. And the uh, climax of the book is pretty great uh, to, you know, all the hopes you had for this kid. He's the one that's assassinated by this shadow creature. <laughs> So issue one, the main character dies. And uh, you kind of get the feeling that his sister will be the one that will be the antagonist of the book, or I'm sorry, the protagonist of the book, which I'm pretty excited for. And uh, the art was just amazing. I felt like I was was reading like paintings on a wall in a Middle Eastern art museum. Like it was, uh, it definitely took tones from like, and I, I feel foolish because I can't cite any paintings or work, but I feel like I was, I was watching tapestry, like comic book pages, like st- that kind of art. Now, I mean, not that cartoonish, but certainly homaging that style of art. And it was really good. So if you like fantasy, if you're itching for new fantasy realm, uh, from Under Mountains is a, a great first issue foray into that genre, and uh, I think you'll enjoy it. Yeah, the main reason I read that is because the cover was so good. Yeah, that cover was really nice. I was I was so tempted to pick it up at the shop today. So <laughs> too busy, so close. Too to busy it. buying those six dollar Miracle Man's. Yes, I was. I bought two at once. <laughs> And it uh, shattered my world. I think when you buy two Miracle Men at the same time, your credit card company calls you, just asking if everything is okay. If you need, you know, right. if you're <laughs> if you're in ownership of the card at the moment. There's and they and they obvi- when that happens, they obviously say, "Now, Mister Andrews, you know you are aware there are no free digital copies with these." <laughs> and I say, "Wow, now I know." 
Yeah, they they have to tell you that over the phone just to confirm things. Right. What else we got from Dale underscore a uh, Facebook phenom? Um, I went ahead and read to probably no one's surprised, but maybe you guys out there are surprised that you may not have heard this or may not have read this. Tet number one. And that's an IDW book uh, by Paul Allure with art by Paul Tucker. And Tet number one takes place during the very, very beginnings of the Tet Holiday slash Tet Offensive 1968 Vietnam. And Eugene Smith is somebody who used to be on the front lines and he has been since reassigned to basically um, like an internal affairs um, detective type position within uh, the confines of Saigon himself. So he's, he's basically working behind the scenes in the city. And there's all kinds of hustle and bustle. Uh, you know, the, the country's at war. They're getting ready for the lunar holiday of Tet. And his, um, his close associate that he's worked with, uh, he could almost consider him a friend, is murdered. And this kind of uh, spins his world it, it turns his world into a tailspin of sorts. He is, he's at the simultaneously, he's in love with a South Vietnamese girl and he's promising her, you know, the American life. As soon as he is discharged and gets to go back home, she's going to go with him. And, uh, when his associate is murdered, he is paired up with a, um, a member of the, um, people's, the people's Republic of Vietnam, uh, the South Vietnamese Army, and he's like an internal affairs detective, so he's kind of investigating why this Marine was murdered in Saigon, and he's like a real hard A, and Eugene's not necessarily um, taking the job as seriously as this guy is, and but this guy is apparently the the best, this this Vietnamese guy. And, and what you do during this setting is... Um, every so often they flash forward to the present day or it might be the 1980s, but it's definitely after the war. And basically what you find out is this, this Eugene Smith guy is miserable and alone, but you just don't know how or why yet. And it's, it's a, it's a great story, uh, with, you know, love, murder, all that just set against the, uh, the backdrop of Vietnam during the Tet Offensive. You must have been and pooing when you discovered this book. It, it was, uh, I think I originally discovered it when uh, Patrick Titus of the comic book shop, our show sponsor, sponsor um, like retweeted something from Paul Allure. He was pumping up his own book and I was just like, this is, this is it for me. I mean, this is perfect. It's coming out now, just me after my binge of all things Vietnam related. And uh, I think it's going to be a mini series, which it's works like out perfectly. Binge and, uh, aftershocks for you right now. <laughs> <laughs> Highly recommended this book. I really enjoyed it. Do you remember that uh, video game Shell Shock Nam? Remember that? No, I, I don't. I kind of remember it, but I don't remember playing it. I remember it had a lot of buzz and then ended up being crap. I think. Yeah. 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 You're right. That was like an Xbox game or something, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Have I talked about JLA on this program before? The JLA Hitch Run? 
I don't think you ever have. I don't know. Ever. Okay. I think you're kind of, are you getting ready to troll us right now? Yeah. Archives? <laughs> Archives troll? <laughs> well, it's been a long time. Uh, Brian Hitch is doing his own Justice League of America book, which is that kind of new DC canon where kind of just tell whatever you want. It doesn't have to really happen in continuity because Bruce Wayne is Batman. Clark Kent is not depowered. And it's like the legit New 52 uh, cast and crew of JLA. And it's stunningly gorgeous, obviously. It's Brian Hitch on art, but he's also writing it. So I think, and I think it's officially like a bi-monthly release schedule. And the the story starts out with um, Superman uncovering this kind of scientists, this group of scientists that have opened a portal and all of these dead Superman are coming through. They, you know, they look exactly like Superman. They're wearing a suit and everything, but they just come through and they're just like beaten up and dead and they don't really know why. And on top of that, the sun God of, uh, I think his name is Rao, you know, that, that Kal-El always references the God of Krypton Mm -hmm. comes to earth he is essentially Jesus with white hair and a you know Kryptonian suit, and he comes to Earth uh, looking for forgiveness because he was he was gone at the time that Krypton had exploded, and so he obviously Clark is wary of this you know guy. He he brings his prophets with him. He's got a bunch of you know cronies <laughs> slash prophets with him. So the thing is is that. The Rao starts, you know, healing all people in all hospitals to like show people. So hospitals are empty because he's healed everyone in the hospital. There's like no sickness. He's going to Africa. It's now, you know, it looks like uh, the Savage Land. There's, there, you know, there's, it's flourishing pretty much. Sounds like the Rao Phoenix Five. <laughs> it pretty much is. So uh, there's one man that is a little skeptical this whole situation and, and that is man? that is our dear friend batman he doesn't quite trust rao yet so he's he's working hard to figure out what is going on but as of right now pretty much everyone on the planet loves rao he's doing everything great uh, superman is tickled pink because his god is back with him on earth and you don't really know what's going to happen next there's no inkling really that Rao is not who he says he is. So my hope for for the to wrap up this series mm-hmm. is that Batman ruins things for everyone on Earth and Rao leaves. <laughs> oh my gosh, can you imagine? Oh, <laughs> and Rao like blames Batman for him leaving right. uh, the planet. That would be the perfect. Batman's ending. just like, good. This is the way I wanted it anyway. You don't guys have. To, I don't want to talk to you guys anyway. <laughs> uh, I think that that happened in in the Simpsons where the Simpsons were like captured by the aliens and they uncovered this book how to eat humans and it was like how to how to cook for 50 humans you know whatever and they ruined it they were like gonna give them all their wishes and they they dropped the simpsons off because they didn't trust the aliens jonesy please i'm back and better than ever repackaged retooled mm-hmm. and rereading uh i did not go to the archives for this next book you know uh, i'm back all number ones here baby and uh, I chose a book based on a novel uh, by James Salas, and it's called Drive. 
And I did a little research. This is also a major motion picture, uh, you know, with the lead actor being Ryan Gosling. That do anything for you? Huh? Have you ever seen the movie? I have not. Oh, my word. Uh, But if uh, the first issue of this book is an indicator, I'm going to have to track it down and watch it because Mm -hmm. the story is uh, nothing I've ever, like, I've ever read before. Uh, it, but it feels like a 1970s heist book uh, in the launching. Uh, you know, the lead character, the driver, we, he's unnamed as of yet, uh, is a stunt worker on films, but it doesn't pay very well. So at night, he takes jobs as the wheelman of like different heist companies. He's the driver, he's the getaway driver. And the first issue is about him accepting a new job, uh, kind of casing the car he wants to drive, and also simultaneously uh, this young romantic interest pops into his life, and and you're kind of like, oh, is this going to you know, make trouble for him? He's kind of like a version of the transporter without the kung fu. You know, he's just kind of like a tough-as-nails guy who does this to make a living, and it kind of seems like the love interest might make trouble for him. It's it's neat. It's good. It's very noirish. Uh, you know, I'm go- is, is it that bad? Is my description no, run is, on that long? This is the music from Drive. It might rekindle your memory oh, here. Okay. It has one of the most popular uh, soundtracks of the recent decade, I think. You know, I was there a preview where the trailer is just shooting him through the glass, mm-hmm. and the and the lights are reflected. And he wears like a silver jacket or something. Yeah, it has like a scorpion on the back. I mean, the movie is gorgeous and the soundtrack's really good. I'm going to have to uh, download that on the iTunes. And, uh, yeah. and he won't eat his cereal no matter what. <laughs> little piece of trivia. The director and Ryan Gosling reteamed for a movie that took place uh, in like a, you know, it felt like, like a seedy Bangkok underbelly. One of the worst movies I've ever seen. Oh, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love the setup and the uh, the execution of that line. You just made one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Do we want to go another round, uh, or are we content? I have one more. The, we wanted, you have one more. Okay. You want to do a patent lightning round? We could do a lightning round here to wrap up. Two rounds and a lightning round. I that's like it. it. That's okay. it. That's, that's old school. That was, I think, the original that's, format. That is the original format. See, guys, let's kismet. Circle back around. That's what we that's circle what back said years ago from a marketing perspective. So I think it's uh, Dale's turn. I think Dale went first. You're right. You're right. <laughs> uh, Weird World number one. Trying to avoid most uh, Secret Wars tie-ins until I get a sweet omnibus. But Weird World number one. If Jason Aaron was writing a proper Conan comic, this is exactly what you would be reading. Only vaguely with few a few Marvel references that makes it even better. You might have to wait a little longer for that omnibus. I don't think Secret Wars, the series, is going to be over until like Q1 2016 at this rate. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Just save me money, I guess. 
Marvel Knights 4. Possibly the most gorgeous Steve McNiven splash pages I have ever laid my baby blue eyes on. Captain America White issues 1 and 2. Jeff Loeb, Tim Sale. You might ask yourself, after a six-year hiatus from Hulk Gray, could the magic still be there with Loeb and Sale? I'm here to tell you, yes, it is still there and thriving. (laughs) That lightning round sponsored by Marvel Comics. We thank our dear friends at Marvel for... (laughs) Thanks, Marvel, for, I mean, everything. (laughs) From our, you do. Right, from our standee for our, all our con booths to the free oodles of free comics that yeah, we get, merch. the boxes of comps. A lot of comps we get. Oodles. Oodles. Uh, the only comps we don't get are the free Miracle Man digital <laughs> issues. After spending $12 on two I- uh, issues. Uh, there you have it. The Roundtable episode has returned. Once a month it'll be out. Uh, in, for your listening pleasure, you know, I don't even know, the outro doesn't really work, so I don't know if we want to get Patrick Hernandez to play us out, if he's still around. I'm getting him back here. Right Can you get him on right the horn? The here. Yeah, get him back in the studio. Get him right in the Marvel Comics underscore A studio. See if he can I walk over our, the bon- box of comps that we have. I think our new outro for this should be the Driven to Tears by uh, RDJ. So you could sing it at the top of your lungs. Live it to chill. Oh. Uh, that's only like a one one hundredth of the decibel level that Jonesy was singing that in our ears <laughs> in the car. Uh. One other thing that we that we've noticed during Baltimore Comic Con is that Jonesy, uh, unbeknownst to him, is probably legally deaf in at least one <laughs> ear. Right. I, I, I the words out of his mouth uh, uh, only a few times. Maybe I do have an issue. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to our extra special episode. Thank you to our Patreon backers for making this possible. Patreon.com slash paperkeg. Check it out. Paperkeg.com for all of your podcast needs in the Paperkeg Radio Syndicate.
Do we come back I don't, after this one? I don't think we need a fireside for the bonus ones. Okay. Because we don't do them for the movie yeah. ones. We should probably leave yeah, this in, though. You know? 